This morning's scripture reading comes from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19, and chapter 27, verse 6. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. I will be reading from the New International Version today. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. This is the word of the Lord. Your children start to make choices when they get older, and you know you want them to study hard in um, high school so they can get into a good college, and they don't always do that or follow what you'd like them to do. So our oldest daughter was pretty strong-willed. We knew that right from the start. When she was 12, uh, one of her best friends at school and his entire family were killed in a plane crash going over to the Apple Cup. And so suddenly the world didn't look the same to her. And uh, over the next few years, she went progressively into sort of all-out rebellion. She got into drugs and alcohol and was just in a downward spiral, running away from home, flunking out of school, getting arrested. and. Ralph and I were both good kids when we were growing up, so we didn't have any experience about how to deal with that. So um, prayer was the only way I got through it. There was one time in particular when she ran away, and um, we prayed and we fasted. And um, since we'd reported her as having run away, uh, and then she was caught uh, as a minor in possession of alcohol, and the law required that she be sent back to our home. And that was, it was clear that God's hand was working. And then during the time that she was away, um, the financial burden was huge and we didn't know where the money was coming from and almost to the penny every month it was enough to, to uh, handle it. To send her away we had to get her kidnapped from our home and the phrase, you'll never see your grandkids, I'll never talk to you again, and it was just heartbreaking. But we knew we were doing the right thing for her. We were hoping it would work out. Um, and then after she came back, we were scared to death about parenting her again because we didn't quite know what to do. But you can't protect your kids from everything, and she still got into trouble after that, um, but had good counselors at her school and uh, wound up graduating on time with her class. The anniversary of her being sent away, she came up to us and she said, um, you know, it's been two years since you sent me away. Thanks for not giving up on me. She did um, transfer to the U. She graduated um, and then eventually went to law school and is now um, a medical malpractice defense lawyer and doing very well, loves us very much and sees us all the time. So now she gets paid to argue with other people instead <laughs> of us. Oh, there they are, right there. 
Yeah, thank you, Ralph and Kathy. Yeah, praise be to God. And that 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 story, uh, I don't know, it plays itself out in homes, some in some way, and sometimes it doesn't end as well. But um, very thankful to hear that, and for, thank you for sharing it. Well, uh, one of the things that that story, I'm sure that you guys have thought about this question in the midst of all of that, is whose fault is it? And uh, as parents, we bear the weight of that question. And Proverbs gives us a little bit of help there. There are three factors that we can, uh, at least three, that we can identify from Proverbs. The child's nature uh, so Proverbs twenty two fifteen is that it says that and, and we hey we love kids here right that's we know that kids can be wonderful but we also know that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child uh, so if you need that reinforced uh, in your life just spend a couple of minutes with a, a two year old and that will it'll happen but there is uh, foolishness bound up in the heart of a child so they have a nature that uh, no, no one is born with wisdom we'll, we'll get to that later it's not something that we're born with uh, the parents nurture uh, the quality of that nurture for the child Proverbs 22 6 very famous uh, train up a child in the way he or she should go and when they get old they will not depart from it uh, maybe they will depart from it <laughs> in their teen years, but uh, that's the story that we just heard. But, yeah, we do our best to train them up, and uh, that's the nurture part. And then this is the wild card, that, and that is the, the, the child can, they have free will, and we, we have free will, and there's nothing that we can do to uh, mitigate that other than pray to God who can influence the heart like no one else. So there is a way to uh, call upon God, too, and uh, you heard that in the story as well. So uh, there's, you know, some answers there. It's, it's not all your fault. It's always good to remember that, that God created a man and a woman and they rebelled against him. They were teenagers or whatever and they just, you know, went their own way. They, they, had, they exercised their free will. So God knows what it feels like for children to wander on him. One of the great powers or forces that works against children's choices is that thing called peer pressure. And it, it comes, it seems, in a certain phase of life, but it's always there, and it's, it's part of uh, adult life as well. Uh, but it, in particular in the teen years, it seems to set the values and the ethos of the, the family home against the values of the street, whatever the street looks like, whether it's other friends or just things that are in social media or whatever. And you get this clash uh, going on. And uh, I'll read a, a quote from uh, Lawrence Steinberg, who's a famous researcher at Temple University. And he says here something that, that I, I feel like I'm reading this as kind of a token reference to an expert because every, and I could have, you know, you don't need a lot, a lot of brains to figure this one out. I'll tell you that. Uh, temp, uh, he says, during uh, adolescence, teens in general are still learning to control their impulses. Oh, really? And, and like, I'm not, right? Okay, well, uh, to think ahead and to resist pressure from others. I, I just find that so understated. But there's truth there, uh, and we need to, to recognize that. So uh, we're going to look at wisdom 
And uh, the book of Proverbs is chock full of wisdom. I, I consider it a gold mine for, for parenting. And uh, as we go along, I'll share some of the gold that, that some of the stories that uh, we had from this. But I want to go back to my own, uh, my own da- dad who had a proverb. It's not in the book of Proverbs, but it is a proverb. And um, one of the things I, I want to teach you about Proverbs, or God wants to teach you about Proverbs, it's not, it's not about rules. It's, Proverbs are for the 80% of life where there's no rules and how to not be foolish in making those decisions. And so uh, his, his proverb was, nothing good happens after, after midnight. <laughs> and um, I tested that one pretty heavily uh, in those years. And then I had friends that their dad said, nothing, nothing good happens after 2 o'clock in the morning. And I wondered why my dad said midnight and they said 2 in the morning. Anyway, I, let's, uh, my, and then, then that did become a rule because I did violate it enough. And then I had a 12 o'clock curfew in my high school years that um, I didn't always make, but that's, I'm not going to talk about that. All right, so uh, we're going to get into this book of Proverbs. We're going to look at three, this, this section, three questions, and we're using friends in quotes because these are, these are not really friends, but um, some people who exert peer pressure. We're going to look, first of all, at how wisdom works and go back to some of the things we talked about last week when we started the series, how peer pressure works, and then uh, just a few things on what parents can do. So uh, we, in verse uh, 10, or I'm sorry, 8 and 9, it says, there, there's some language there that I want you to hear. Um, it says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your neck or your head and a chain to adorn your neck. So uh, the language here of Proverbs, it's from parents to their children. And I want to make sure that we're inclusive here, that we're including both mother and father, which you hear it here, but also not just sons, but also daughters. So this, the wisdom is for all. You have to translate it a bit to your situation because most of the book, it's from Solomon to uh, his teenage son. So the, the age that we're identifying here is somewhere between age 12 and 20 is what the commentators will tell us. So think of Solomon addressing uh, the wisdom to his son, who is somewhere in that age group, but it also works for daughters. And it's also applicable to mothers who are part of the training as well. So we have that, and we remember the definition of wisdom uh, from last week, which is to, uh, it's to learn the skill. Remember, wisdom is not, you're not born with it. It's a skill that you have to acquire along the way. And you're going to acquire it through family and through community, a community like this. And, uh, but it's the skill to navigate the complex realities of life. That's, that's kind of the definition we threw out there last week. So it's competency toward reality. And um, the, I'm going to give you some, go back to uh, the image that we used last week, which actually had a piece of wood here. If you weren't here, I put on a display uh, chopping a piece of wood, trying to illustrate, and by the way, this piece of wood has been chopped on by uh, people for years, and no one has broken through before. So I did, you saw it last Sunday if you were here. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, not quite, but I can. Here's, here's what, it, what we're after, is to discover the grain, the grain uh, 
in the universe that God has put there, the moral and spiritual order that is part of creation. So we know that, that there's physics, that uh, if you're a physicist, you, you can discover, we talked last week about um, how flight works, how an airplane gets off the ground, and that was discovered, those principles were discovered. But the, the wisdom is like that. You can discover what God uh, has made and sort of the, the principles that are baked into creation. And if you discover those, your life is going to go better uh, than if, if you don't know those. And um, so the grain, I'm going to, I want to refer to that image quite a bit during this series, the, the grain of the universe. And one of the things that's in that grain that I want us to think about today is the need in every human heart for identity and for belonging. And uh, think about that, adults, parents, for yourself. That when you, have, you don't have a sense of identity of who you are, then you don't know what to do. And if you don't know who you belong to, uh, it creates this, this loneliness in you, and you're more open and susceptible to all kinds of foolishness. So identity and belonging are baked into the human heart. It's part of the grain of the universe. And um, this is why, because that's in there, it's why uh, families work really, really well at times, particularly when our kids are small. Uh, they will just... You know, the family thing is, is, can, can be a lot easier, and, and you, you have this, this sense of uh, we're in it together, and then it's like this chemical gets, you know, around age 12, 13, this chemical gets sprayed on your, your, your children, and they turn into different people. I've heard parents talk about it that way, and neurologists can tell you that there is a chemical thing that splashes on the brain during those years that uh, where children, all of us, we've, it's happened to all of us, we're adults. Hopefully, I mean, it's hard part of growing up is you become independent, abstract uh, uh, capacities to think and independent in your thinking, and you have to uh, not just trust your parents anymore, but learn for yourself. And that's a scary time. The ice gets pretty thin there at times, and the, uh, the prayers get ramped up if you're a parent. But that's how God, that's in the, in the formula for life that uh, God has made. So it's, it's, it's scary, but it's part of the... Uh, the grain of the universe as well. And our hearts are like heat-seeking missiles during those years, looking for identity and belonging. So I want to give you something that makes it extra complicated in our age. If, if I had an image that described uh, today, it would be this. It's particle board. This is the culture that we live in that denies that there is this grain of the universe that God has put there and that it's just sort of haphazard and random and uh, you have to create your own identity and, and your own story and, uh, and through that find a, a place that belongs no matter whether, regardless of what it, you know, there's no reference to any absolute values there. And, uh, but it's really hard because we're, in the extremes here, we're, we're living in a world where people brand themselves and um, that's just really weird to me. And that through social media, you can you know, put, your, kind of put an image of yourself out there. Um, but then I think, you know, is it really that different for me? Because I, I, I've shared this before. When I was in seventh grade, I would spend an hour in front of the mirror trying to make it look like I didn't care how I looked. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe, maybe it's not really that new. <laughs> that we've always sort of struggled with this thing in our hearts. But definitely social media is, is playing into the search for identity. 
And I think it's such a good news to be able to tell somebody, whether they're young or old, that you know you don't have to try so hard. That what you want to do is look for what God has made and look look for that in, in the world around you, and you will find your identity and your belonging through wisdom. Is really what it, we're talking about here. So um, we have that's that's how wisdom functions in the world, and um, underneath. The, the sort of negative word that's underneath our, our heart's longing for identity and belonging is the word insecurity. And we, we tend to struggle with insecurity. Uh, and I don't think it matters what age we are, but I'm going to get that out there now because we're going to look at what happens next. Okay, uh, verses 10 through 16. The father, or in this case it would be Solomon, he says, my son... If sinners entice you, do not give in to them. Uh, if they say, come along with us, let us lie in wait for someone's blood. You know, that, that voice, you know, you're, you're that age where you're, you're, you're not committed yet to anything and you're kind of unformed, you're, you're kind of a simple, naive attitude towards life and somebody comes up and says, hey, come along with us. We're going to lie in wait for someone's innocent blood. And then it goes on and talks about how they're going to, not just, they're going to murder him. This is about murder, by the way, so it's not pretty. Then these people, these this gang members, it's kind of a gang member thing, they invite this this uh, young, unformed soul into to join them, and they're going to murder somebody, an innocent victim, and then they're going to take all of his money. So it's easy money, is the appeal. And then they're going to share it together. So there's a kind of sense of, uh, of joining the crowd, belonging, identity and belonging are right at the heart of this. And what Eric Erickson said, and if you had ever had a, a psych class or whatever, uh, Eric Erickson was a famous, he was a guru on human development. But um, you know, his, his uh, quote is, adolescence is a quest for identity and belonging. So you can see the appeal here of this situation that the father is going to address with the son. There's two ingredients that make for the, the ripe heart for that to happen. One is the insecurities of the son, and then the peer pressure from the crowd, and those come together. Now, before we, I'm going to give you an example here in just a sec of how this works, but I want to point out something that is, I think it's important. It might seem like a, a fine point uh, to you, but sin and foolishness are not the same thing, biblically. And the word fool or foolishness is found frequently in Proverbs. The word sin is, is rather scarce. So here's the difference. Uh, in the, uh, there's no commandment that says uh, do not hang out with bad people. It's not in the, it's not in the, the Ten Commandments, at least. It's, uh, do not murder is in there, but not that. So the, the, here's, here's maybe a reason why, is that um, what did Jesus do when he came to this earth? Who did he hang out with? Bad, bad People, people who stayed out after midnight and whatever. But they're, they're, uh, he hung out with foolish people. He hung out with sinners. He hung out with, with bad people. So there's not a rule to life. Do not hang out with bad people. If you have your identity and your sense of belonging strong enough, go for it. And I've, I've done work in prisons. I mean, that's hanging out with bad people, you know. But do it with wisdom. A 12-year-old is not there. And so I just want to see you to see the difference between these two words. And what, what happens, though, is that foolishness is the path to sin. 
in this case, to murder. There's no way, here's another way to say it, there's no way that this young man in this story would commit murder and robbery without that group that is appealing to his insecurities. Think about that as a parent, how that works. All right, I want to give you an example from uh, the last year out of the news. And you may recognize this or you may not, but um, this is Tim Piazza. He was a freshman at Penn State University, and um, he was a member of the uh, Beta Theta Pi fraternity, which I know that, because, that name, that fraternity, because my father was a member of that fraternity back in uh, a long time ago. And uh, he would always talk about the betas being the best and blah, blah, blah. But this is not a pretty story, what happens in this fraternity on this night, February 3rd last year, 2017. So it's a hazing incident. And on that night, uh, uh, Tim, and you can see his mom and dad there. This is at his memorial service, which tells you what the end was. He was coerced into drinking an excessive amount of alcohol as part of what was normal in that fraternity. And then he um, fell down some stairs and hit his head and began to bleed and hemorrhage, and uh, eventually it led to his death. Now, the part of this that's... This is not the first time. I wish it was. It's not the first time. This, this, this story has been played out many, many times in fraternities, particularly. But what's make, what makes it a little bit different is that the whole thing was videoed because of security video in the fraternity. And the time between the, when the accident happened, which you can see, and when he was, the 911 was called, was 12 hours, 12 hours of video. And I want to give you just a, a little heads up of, of what happened in those um, 12 hours that uh, makes this story maybe more illustrative to the story that we're reading about here in Proverbs. Now, remember, I want you to remember that these are fraternity brothers who are watching him die for 12 hours. Now, when I say fraternity, and to use that word at its best, I'm not bashing fraternities, but the reason people would say that we should have fraternities is so that we can give identity and a sense of belonging. I mean, those, are, those would be two things that, that, you know, 18-year-old kids, when they come to a new campus, they need identity and belonging, and fraternities can help provide that. But in this case, it was his fraternity brothers, you know, you'd, you'd hope for, it's, it's just such a tragedy in that sense. And remember uh, that foolishness isn't just wrong, it's, it's really stupid. I mean, I, I don't mean that, uh, flippantly, that it is just stupid. It it hurts you. It hurts people. So there's foolishness uh, all over this uh, story. But I want to go to um, uh, this next picture. This is Cordell Davis. Cordell Davis uh, is the, he was the only African American in the fraternity, and he comes on the scene that night about two hours into the video. And by the way, this is all being played out. Uh, it's still in the courts as to who, who gets blame in this case. So there's still appeals going on. There's all kinds of legal stuff going on. But Cordell is one of the, um, the, the characters in the drama. And um, he came in at two hours into, and he sees uh, Tim lying on the, the floor bleeding. 
And immediately, he, you can see it on the video, he starts to scream and plead to call 911. And he is told by those who are present, the fraternity brothers, the others there, uh, that he's overreacting. And then uh, he decides to go talk to the vice president of the fraternity, and the vice president of the fraternity, who's another student, says to him that those who are sort of in charge of the situation are kinesiology and biology majors, and they know more than you do. That's what he was told. This is in an Atlantic Monthly article uh, a few months back. So he, at the end, you know, it, it, he has huge regret that he didn't just call 911. And that would have been the wise thing to do at that point. But then the, uh, the writer of the article in Atlantic Monthly asks him a question, and it's, so you were made to feel doubt for yourself or doubt about yourself. It's kind of a question. And his response was, I've doubted myself my whole life. And it, it, it just it opens up that, the insecurities that are there in the human heart and why someone would want to go into fraternity in the first place. I mean, all of these kids, just 18-year-old kids, they're, they're good-looking. They're, good they're, you know, this is like football players in high school. They're all, if you see their pictures, you, you wouldn't think any of them were bad. I mean, they're, they're, how could they do this thing? None of them would have murdered somebody. No, no one would, but, but the, it's a groupthink thing that happens it's a peer pressure thing, and nobody wants to be the one that says, no, and this guy at least tried, and do you know what? He was raised by a single mom and then in foster care, and he's the only one that stood up. He had reason to be insecure and doubt himself his whole life, but he tried, and he's, he's not being charged for those reasons. But do you see how peer pressure works? I mean, that's, it's in the text here as well. People want to be accepted um, well, I feel like I need to end on a more positive note. How's that? So we're going to go to what can parents do. And um, there's a couple of things, and one of them is in the text that I, I want to make sure you see it because it's not immediately obvious here, but you will see it later, uh, particularly in Chapter 7. A parenting technique that Proverbs gives us is to cautiously expose your children to the realities of the world in order to show them the the, uh, grain of the universe. And so you see it here. The father shows the son what happens to somebody who seeks after easy money and who gets pulled in by the crowd. And the, in the end, because you always want to make sure that you connect the causes and the effects, that's, that's part of wisdom. In the end, those who are, are trying to trap this wayward soul and steal his money are the ones who get trapped. And so it says that the ones who are trying to create the ambush are ambushed themselves. Uh, they lay in, they, I think it's verse 18, it says they, they lay in wait for their own blood. That's, that's the end of how the story is written. When you go to chapter 7, it's, it's not about easy money, it's about easy sex. And the father, it, it's very graphic, the father takes the son to the red light district of the town and he says, watch what happens here. And they, they identify a young man who is uh, simple and, and um, not yet formed or committed and uh, he, uh, uh, an adulteress comes 
and entices him and seduces him. And he, she actually uses a kind of religious language to pull him in to her web. But in the end, he loses his life because the husband comes home. So it's, the point being, as far as, as teaching for parents to teach, is to cautiously and carefully expose your children to R-rated life because life is not G-rated. Now, when their kids are younger, uh, you know, the, the old Disney movies are, are great, but, uh, you, know, you know, if your kids are 17 and they've never seen a, you know, you might want to check out Schindler's List or something like that, you know, that you, where you talk about the realities of life and then talk about it, learn from it. Why did that happen to this person? What do we learn about the grain of the universe, the way God has created it from watching an R-rated movie together. Because that's what they're doing. That's what, in uh, Proverbs 7 particularly, you'll see it. It's pretty R-rated. So there's a strategy there for parents um, for us to learn from. And then, uh, and of course, you have to know your kids. You have to know the age appropriateness of, of that. And be sure you have the, the conversation afterwards. But then, secondly, we can think of your home. Think of, think of the... Uh, what people feel when they walk into your home, and uh, do they have this sense, if, if I were to come to your home, would I have the sense that this is a identity and uh, kind of a, a center for belonging that this family has together? And I want to I put this before you as a, an ideal, that, that you're, you see your home and your job number one as creating identity and a sense of belonging for not just for y- your children, but for you, for you as parents. And the things on the wall speak of that. And maybe the, I don't know, the, the, the smell of the food or whatever. But it just sort of speaks to that, that this is a, a place where we create identity and belonging. Um, Time at the dinner table together is part of that. And so there's all kinds of research out there. I, uh, I haven't quoted it for a few years that I think if, it, if, you know, the, uh, if, you, if you have less than three meals together, dinners together a week, you're, you're really missing out. And there's no amount of soccer field time that's going to make up for that dinner table time when it comes to it creating identity and a sense of belonging. To have traditions in your home that are like 10 years from now, your kids would say, Oh, we had the coolest thing we used to do on whatever night it was or whatever time of year it was. And what will your kids say? You want, you want them to say something that, you know, you, would, you wouldn't believe what my parents did. And hopefully it's not like, yeah, uh, you know, whatever. But something really positive. Though at our house, uh, we, uh, Friday nights were fun night. And we, that, this is, uh, I relate to the auction tonight, because I, you know, hey, I still live in the 80s, but back in the 80s, this is what we did. And we had a VCR then, right? And you'd put that, that uh, I guess it was a tape, you put that tape in there and weird things would happen. And uh, you'd, get a, you'd get a movie. So we, we would do that. We'd have pizza on Friday nights. And it was, uh, the, the thing that our kids will tell you about, because we had three boys, this is really important to the story. So three, three boys, myself and Patty. And, and uh, so Friday was the, the one night where you could burp at our house. <laughs> and that's what our kids, yeah, and it was, it was funny. So I consider myself very, very wise for thinking of this uh, at the time because what it, what it was really saying is you can't, you can't burp on the other six nights. And we were always careful to not invite people over on Friday nights. So we just, you know, just let her. So Patty still has trauma from that um, years later. Yeah. But that's, that's one of the things our kids will talk about today, that they remember, and it helped build identity and uh, a sense of belonging that we had together. But the most important thing is the presence of Jesus Christ in your home. 
So how, here's the question for you. How palpable is his presence? And the key to that answer is going to be you as parents. Because you're the one, if your kids can see the living, vital, existential reality of your relationship with Jesus Christ, they can see it. Or, I mean, they pick up on this stuff. And they know it when it's there. They feel it. Um, they know that Jesus is in the home because he's in you. And they know, because they're in places like this on Sunday, they know that Jesus is the most inviting person in the world, and they know that he invites others to belong, that he is the one who invites us to become children of God. And so Christ, is he, how, how, how strong, how palpable is he sensed in your home? There is no one like Jesus and I, the, the the wisdom of Proverbs is wonderful, but we want to remember that Jesus is the wisest person ever. And when He's in your home, when He's in your heart, your home will be that wise place of belonging and identity creation. Let's pray, Lord. Um, look into our hearts now, and um, the things from Your Word that have spoken this morning maybe caught us off guard or opened up a new window to think about. Come into that place now, Lord, and have your way. And if there's an action to take, I pray for the courage to take it. Um, It might be different for everyone, but we believe in your Holy Spirit who leads us, and we don't want to get in your way. We don't want to frustrate you. I pray that each of us, Lord, would be in homes where you are in the center, where your voice is heard, where your uh, presence is felt. And uh, be the Lord. Be the Lord of our homes, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.